As a family, we read Atomic Habits a couple years ago. It wasn't my first time reading it, but it was Troy's. And today we're going to go through kind of what we learned, why we didn't necessarily get as much out of it as we thought we might, and kind of what we're taking away from Atomic Habits today. Sounds great. Welcome to the Living Life Our Way podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you live intentionally. Our goal is to take back control of our lives by living life on our terms. Join us as we work towards living life our way. Welcome back. I'm Jeff. And I'm Troy. And today we're going to talk about Atomic Habits. So I'd only ever heard good things about Atomic Habits, um, but in doing some research and reading some additional reviews, both on Amazon as well as Goodreads, I came across quite a few people who maybe weren't as optimistic about the whole Atomic Habits idea. In fact, one of them said, I've met several people who adored this book and swore it changed their life only to find out that they did not, in fact, stick to any new habits they picked up after reading this book. What a surprise. It's not a big surprise, and I think that the criticism's fair, not only about Atomic Habits, but a lot of the self-improvement world where there are tips and hacks that get us excited about making change. But as many of us have experienced, the maintaining the change is really the challenge, not the starting the change. I found that in my life anyway, very easy to start a habit, maintaining it and really incorporating it into my life in a productive way. That's that's where the challenge really lies. Yeah. So I know you were really optimistic. You were really hot on Atomic Habits when you first read it. Um I'm curious what your thoughts are on the criticism that it doesn't produce lasting results. Well, I, I think it's a fair criticism, and that's not to be uh, d- to diminish a lot of the things about Atomic Habits that I like. But the problem is that it focuses so much on the, the habits and the systems as opposed to the underlying reasons for doing it. The thing that I love about Atomic Habits is it really focuses on making it easy to start habits. And really, a lot of its tips uh, relating to um, starting small and stacking habits and even identity-based habits, I think, help make habits stick. But if they're not based on really fulfilling what you really want out of life, I think that's where a lot of the problems come in with making habits become effective. So the criticism is fair, because I don't think that Atomic Habits focuses enough on the why behind some of the, the habits and systems that it encourages us to, uh, to form. Yeah, it requires a little bit more effort on the part of the reader, maybe in advance of reading the books, that being clear on why you want those habits is just as important as the kind of tips or tricks for developing those habits. For sure. Yeah, I agree 100%. So one of the things we've talked about with self-help books, it's kind of like the coffin business. Everyone needs one. Everyone knows they want to improve, but at the end of the day, it's maybe not as effective to scratch that itch. Right, and I, I like the uh, the coffin analogy. I, I guess the one thing I would say is the, the repeat business for self-help books is a little bit more significant than coffins. They're, they're kind of a one uh, a, a one and done proposition where uh, self-help, at least my experience is it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving. You know, we keep on returning back to, to, to try to find something that really works. And I think that, again, for me, one of the problems is that, that pre-work that you're talking about, where you really go in and define 
what it is that you're wanting and really viewed across all the various lenses of our lives. If we're clear on on the why and we're clear on what value we're anticipating that that habit or that system to bring into our life, its sustainability is going to be easier because we really know what it's intended to do uh, in our lives. Yeah. So talking about sustainability, let's take a look back. We actually both took notes and said some stuff that we were going to change as a result. Let's take a look back at some of those things. And maybe I'd just like to hear your reaction and I'll give my reaction. Um, So you said the key to the life you desire is to develop and maintain personal systems that move you in that direction. Still agree, but I guess what, and we've talked about it a, a little bit already, the key is that life you desire. You need to figure out that first before you jump into trying to figure out habits and systems. Because if you're misaligned, the best habits and the best systems in the world aren't going to produce the result that you want. I mean, the idea is that no matter how fast you go, if you're going in the wrong direction, you're not going to get where you want. And so what I would say is there's a whole bunch of work in in figuring out exactly what you want first before you then go about and get those systems and habits in place. But those systems and habits really are the way that we can make progress towards what we want. We yeah. just need to know what that is first. Yeah, and I kind of had the exact same thoughts that the direction uh, of our lives is really the key of that yeah. statement where for for me, it's been, oh, I just need to get systems and habits in place. And if you don't really have that direction, it it doesn't really move you where you want to go. Or, I mean, you don't even know where you want to go, I guess. Exactly. Nope, exactly. Um, okay, next one for me is, I work so hard to make myself completely comfortable, where living with some discomfort would not only increase my level of overall life satisfaction, but also make it easier to start on building habits. Look for ways to become more stoic by intentionally delaying immediate gratification. Okay, and yes, I'd agree, and this maybe is now a pattern that's emerging, the, the, the purpose or the why is what, to me, justifies the discomfort. Meaning, we're certainly, certainly naturally predisposed to want to be comfortable, and I don't think discomfort for discomfort's sake is necessarily admirable, Unless it's doing something for us, like building resistance. But, you know, an example is if I want to go and visit Europe, there is going to be this this long flight in cramped quarters that I'm going to have to endure to have that experience. So the discomfort, the choice of the discomfort is it's framed because of what it provides me on the on the other side. And I think that that's the reality of 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 this whole kind of comfort discomfort tension is what do we get on the other side i would say that oftentimes sort of a fixation or obsession or even entitlement for comfort produces some really bad things on the other side you know i mean it produces depression and and complaining and you know anxiety i think there's some real negatives with fixating on comfort so i I agree with the comment, but so much of it is, again, what is on the other side of that discomfort? What is the discomfort for? 
Yeah. And I do think there is some value in discomfort for discomfort's sake. A lot of people these days are quoting Mark Antony and Mm -hmm. really that stoicism. I think there is some level of just pushing yourself beyond your boundaries just for the sake of continuing to be able to do that. And, and to be clear, that is the other side, that resilience, that that recognition that you have more control over sort of bodily appetites or desires or whatever. That is what's on the other side. So uh, for sure, I agree that that type of, of stoic approach and, and acknowledging that there's value in the the resilience or the the benefits of discomfort i mean that is a, an output that i am totally in favor of i think what we oftentimes fail to to connect though is we're saying or we have this desire to be comfortable we don't realize what the output of that is nor do we really clarify what we're trying to get when we jump into an ice bath or a cold shower we're we're wanting the resilience we're wanting the blood flow once that's defined now it's a little bit easier to embrace that discomfort because we know what the product's going to be if that makes sense so to wrap things up kind of on this discomfort thing i have not been historically great at it but since we've started this molos and living life our way um define life xp experiment um, I have been better at being uncomfortable, uh-huh. I guess. Uh, and there, I've started taking cold showers. And it's not just discomfort for discomfort's sake, but it it is that kind of resiliency. There's a reason behind being uncomfortable yeah. that has been a really positive start to my day. It's kind of like the make your bed change the world. Starting off with a daily victory has really, it it does define the way you move your day. Right. So the next one comes from you. It's focus on making what you want to do easy and what you don't want to do hard. I I agree with that concept still in theory. I just think it's too simplistic to really um, be super effective. Um, What I mean by that is it's kind of a hack to try to engineer your home or your life to make certain things easier and other things harder. And so it's an effort to make the, the choice um, easier. And I think what is more valuable is making the choice clear in terms of the value of what you're choosing between. And, you know, for instance, if I have a $100 bill and a $1 bill that I'm offered to choose between, it's very easy for me to select the $100 bill because the value disparity is so clear to me. It's so obvious to me. When we're looking to build these habits and incorporate them into systems, how clear are we making the value disparity between what we're choosing between? Um, For instance, if I feel like I want to read more and I want to watch TV less, well, I can certainly hide the remote and put the book right in front of me. There's ways that I can simplify the choice, but it would seems to me it would be so much better if I was really clear on why reading the book was so much more valuable to me, looking across all my life lenses, why it's so much more valuable to me than watching TV. If I can't make that valued (laughs) argument, if, if reading a book isn't more valuable to me than watching TV when it comes right down to it, you know, maybe I ought to just pick up the remote and stop beating myself up over it. You know, I think there's just a lot of those things that we feel like we should do. But if we can't make a really clear value choice where it is a dollar versus a hundred dollars, 
we're going to have a tough time maintaining those habits, even if we really try to make them easier and other ones harder, because it's just not, there's not enough value difference in it for us. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. He gives the example of make it hard to watch TV by unplugging the TV, putting it in another room. And for me, that's always kind of been a great aspiration, but I do that. And then the first time I pull it out, I think, oh, well, I'm also going to want to watch TV tomorrow. So I'll just leave it out this time. And it just ends up staying back out. It's hard if there's no underlying kind of undercurrent of value uh, assessment that helps you really drive that decision forward. It it makes it hard to stick with any of those things. It's the same thing with deleting social media off your phone. It, It seems like they inevitably end up back on your phone. Well, and I think it, it, part of the problem that we have, too, is that we're not clear what we're choosing between oftentimes in those cases. Yeah. It's not really in front of us. So when we sit down and we start watching TV, we may not really be able to articulate super well what we're choosing that instead of. Yeah, what we would be doing instead. Yeah, and so I gave the example of reading a book. Are we really making that a choice between between watching TV and reading a book? Or are we allowing kind of the current of life to sort of just sweep us into certain activities and 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 behaviors? And I think the the clearer we can make those choices and the better we are at at identifying for us, again th- viewed through our various life lenses, what's valuable and what isn't, now those choices become more conscious. They actually become choices and they become simplified. Maybe not the $1 to $100 simplification, but the more value we build on the whys for us and what it's doing for us, the easier it's going to be to make that choice that we actually want to want to make. Totally. He gives four rules of habit formation. Make it obvious, and the opposite is make it invisible. Make it attractive, and the opposite is make it unattractive. Make it easy or make it difficult. Make it satisfying or make it unsatisfying. And I think in each one of those, it's all about defining what the choice is. If you're going to make it satisfying, what are you giving up yeah. on the other end and uh, or vice versa with the TV if I'm not going to watch TV, would I just be sitting on social media? And is that, would I be better off just watching the TV? Sure. So. And, and I think another really important element of that is, is being more holistic in terms of assessing that value and, and what it really does for us. Because I think, uh, and, and I've seen this in my life a lot, where I sort of have an aspirational goal or something that I want to do that fits really well when I look at it through one life lens, but actually is really misaligned with what I'm trying to do in other, you know, when viewed through other life lenses. So an example might be, and I haven't done this, but uh, deciding to, to do an Ironman, you know, Mm -hmm. which has this massive uh, training obligation associated with it. And it's an amazing achievement for those that do it. And so if I choose to, to do an Ironman, it might fit perfectly within my maybe physical wellness lens or my recreation lens, but it may be completely at odds with what my family needs from me. So, you know, when viewed through my relationship lens, it may be completely 
a no-go. It might not work at all. And so I think having that holistic view and saying, how is this working across all of those different lenses, not only will um, identify some habits or systems that can't work or that you know are going to be a real problem, but also as we found through our, our cleaning experiment, might invite some synergies totally. that, uh, that, that might be surprising. So I think that's one of those other pieces is a simplistic view where we're looking at a single habit or even a single system and viewed through only one lens, that's, that's where we get ourselves into some trouble and miss some opportunities. Yeah, so the next one I'm actually gonna react to first. Um, it comes from me and it's start much smaller in my habits. That was my biggest takeaway is I go way too big. Yeah. And I think I've done a lot better at that, but I think that is an overly simplistic view similar to what you were just saying that uh, has resulted in some issues. So the best example right now in my life is Duolingo. I am almost to a 300 day streak on Duolingo, which is awesome. My whole goal was to learn Spanish. And then about, a month ago, I started realizing that things had drifted off course for me a little bit. They have these leagues where if you get enough XP, you advance up to the leagues. And I finally made it to the top league. And I kind of sat back and evaluated how much Spanish I'd been learning and realized that the last couple of weeks, I'd really just been getting on in the morning to get double XP and in the evening to get double XP and just trying to cram in as many high value lessons. Yeah. Not high value from learning Spanish, but just an XP getting more uh, accumulation <laughs> yeah and uh being really unintentional in how i'm approaching my spanish education so it it really is that's a small habit it's really been nice to fit spanish into my day but it's kind of gone off the rails a little bit totally now the flip side of that coin and i, I mean, we've talked about it so i know we both agree on this we do still love the idea of starting small that allowing yourself to build momentum with habits and systems that are meaningful for you is is a really a great strategy that that James Clear and Atomic Habit Habits um, illustrates. And and so we hunt we one hundred percent agree, I think. Yeah, no, uh, that that sure. is great a great suggestion is to make sure that you're starting in a way that doesn't set you up by success by overshooting the mark. Yeah. But again there's even more value in starting small in the right ways. The Duolingo is an example. If you start small in a way that either the the habit itself sort of hijacks what you're trying to do, or it just doesn't really fit in in a meaningful way with other things that you're wanting to do that are going to be high value to you, it, it may be that your effort's a little bit wasted or you're, or, or you're at least foregoing some things that might create more velocity yeah. You know, more speed towards the direction you want to go and opportunities to build some of those synergies in in other areas of your life. Yeah, I think there's dangers on both sides. The, totally. the small habit, uh, definitely think that that's the way to go. Yeah. Because if you build too big of habits or get too ambitious, you burn out too fast. For sure. Um, but the other side of that is the uh, kind of evaluation of those habits. So I think that's something we've talked a lot about and have been doing a lot more recently is these weekly, um, monthly meetings where we go through personally and with our spouses to kind of evaluate our the habits that we're trying to develop actually getting us to where we want to go and are they the most effective. 
maybe even the smallest kind of minimum meaningful progress we can make towards those things. Breaking them down to that allows you to build on them a lot more effectively than trying to construct the whole habit from the start. Right. And and we've uh, the, the phrase that we've been using is these dynamic personal systems yeah. where the the goal is really this cross lens approach to identifying the systems that will help us make that progress. And so that evaluation weekly and monthly really is this opportunity to look and say, hey, is there a better way that we can do this? You know, is it still serving the the purpose that it was intended in terms of our molos and what we're really trying to accomplish? And having that kind of, of revisit both of what we're really trying to, what our, our, our top level whys are, but also evaluating what we're working on to make sure that it that it fits and that we're creating velocity as opposed to just speed. Um, it's really, it, it's for sure been useful and given me a, a whole different perspective on kind of habits and systems and, and the power that I have to, to exert more control over, uh, you know, over my life. And, and that's pretty empowering. Yeah, no question. <laughs> so we're going to kind of finish up with some rapid fire reactions. Okay. Um, we have uh, on Amazon, on Kindle books, they have the most popular highlights. And there's an interesting index that's been made kind of as a joke by a, an American mathematician. Um, and he calls it the Hawking Index because Hawking wrote a book. Stephen Hawking. Yeah, yeah Stephen Hawking wrote a book called A Brief History of Time. And it's widely regarded as the most unread book of all time. So he went through. And by that meaning, people bought it. Yes. Put it on the shelf, didn't read it. So. Yes. And so he went through this Amazon uh, popular highlights and he came up with this index, which is you take the page number of the top five highlights and divide it by the total number of pages. And that kind of gives you an index of how far they've made it through the book. So Atomic Habits got a six or a nine point five on the Hawking Index. A Brief History of Time got a six point six, so a little worse. And actually, there's the worst book that has been analyzed is Hillary Clinton's book, which got a one point nine on the index. Wow! So no comment there. Yeah, <laughs> um, just interesting, kind of to look at how books are read. There's some that have gone in the nineties, which wow. is incredible. Um, but Atomic Habits, when we started looking through these highlights, all five of the top highlights came out of the first chapter. So interesting. it was kind of an interesting commentary. It seems like a lot of people buy the book off of a recommendation, read the first chapter, which is super interesting, and then kind of burn out as a lot of self-help books, I think, experience a similar approach to reading. For sure. Um, so here's the highlights. We'll just get kind of top level thought and okay. be done. Um, but goals are the results you want to achieve systems are about the processes that lead to those results. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think systems, he's, he's talking about um, habits and stacking their interrelationship. Um, and, and for sure, if you have a goal, systematizing it is, is a great way to get there. So I certainly have no, no real grief with that. <laughs> yeah, the only criticism I'd have with that is the way he kind of refers to goals. It's yeah. a little bit confusing. And so when he talks about systems and goals, um, I mean, goals are still important. For so. sure. Uh, the second highlight was, one, decide what type of person you want to be. Two, prove it to yourself with small wins. Um, 
Yeah, the, the decide what kind of person you want to be. That's a pretty complex exercise, you know. And so the suggestion that you just say, "I'm X," I, I think that actually may be somewhat of a destructive uh, suggestion. It, you you really need to look at your life more holistically. And I think when you're clear on what your ideal life looks like, then great. A lot of this becomes more academic. Simply saying. You know, this is the kind of person I want to be that feels a little social media esque yeah. in terms of suggesting how easy or that it's something you do flippantly. Yeah. Well, I do think you look at it and say, like, I want to be a runner. Just saying I want to be a runner, does that mean you run marathons? Does that mean you run a mile every day? Like, what does that actually entail? It can be a lot more complex than simply just giving an adjective to yourself and just then now all of a sudden you're on your way to success. So. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that type of label, I suppose, okay, you know, kind of some trying to create a self-fulfilling prophecy of some sort. But I guess my feeling is even the question of do I want to be a runner? You know, how does that fit in overall? Because the questions that you're asking, do I want to run a marathon or whatever else, that they really may be informed by different lenses totally. of your life. So yeah. anyway. Hails back to your Iron Man uh, comparison. Sure. Just worth looking holistically. Yeah. Um, Number three was, okay, so number three is goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. Uh, You tackle this one first. So this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with goals is he takes kind of this dismissive approach to goal setting that it does actually fit into a system where you having that direction helps and goals are a way to set that direction. Yeah. And I do like the point that he makes that, that goals have an end and oftentimes are either you achieved it or you don't. It's a win or a lose proposition. Whereas life systems, we can, there's a lot of things in life where we can say, it's just how I want to travel through life. It's how I want to experience life. And so I think that understanding the difference is important, but it doesn't mean that those sort of mile markers of, of, of a goal, that, that those are somehow worse. Those are oftentimes really important elements of informing how we want to live and, and in giving meaning and purpose to, you know, to how we live. So I, I'd say they both have their place. Yeah. Um, so completely agree. Number four, the ultimate form of intrinsic motivation is when a habit becomes part of your identity. It's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. It's something very different to say, I'm the type of person who is this. I like the idea of identity-based habits and systems where they just are part of who you view yourself to be. Um, In terms of intrinsic motivation, I I, again, I I prefer the idea of of building out those value uh, relationships where Something is valuable because of what it returns to your life, the positive that it returns to your life. And I don't pick too big a bone with him in terms of, uh, of, of how he's framing out that motivation. We do naturally do things that are aligned with our, with our self-identity. I get that. I guess my point is we can be intentional and build those values so that our motivation is predicated on what is really valuable in our life not simply you know this this sort of identity that we have with ourselves yes, if that difference makes, a, yeah, makes any sense yeah self affirmation um 
they're effective, but really, why do you want to self-affirm you're that is, is also an important question to ask. For sure. All right. The last one, number five, is you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And this is the one that I have heard more than any other quote from James Clear. Um, he tells it on every podcast I've ever heard him on. He, he loves this idea. And I think it is awesome. I think that um, in the NBA, all teams want to win, to ch- win a championship. The team with the best system and the best players um, is the one who ends up succeeding at that goal. So the goal isn't necessarily what determines where you get to. Um, you kind of, you don't rise to that level. You, it's all about the system creation. And that's really where I got a lot of value out of this is not that I've been great at it, but that recognizing just setting goals and having aspirations does not a valuable life make. Right. And I think that that is what I took away and what I still really appreciate and enjoy about Atomic Habits is this idea that, that a goal or a dream, super easy, you know, especially come January every year, we all have our, you know, our goals and our dreams and that's great. Are we willing to do the work that is required to actually achieve that? Um, and there are certain goals, like you mentioned, the NBA, where you may flat out not be able to. I mean, there, yeah. if it's if there's one winner and a, a thousand people in the race, if your goal is to win, you may not achieve it. So I really like what what James Clare did in Atomic Habits in terms of identifying, hey, we can be smart about how we build systems. Um, again, the place that I feel there's a little bit of a disconnect is that they're there he does not highlight the work that is available and that's really productive where we are being more intentional about what we're what we are trying to achieve and where we are trying to get and uh and so i think if you marry those two things marry the the work of really identifying what your ideal life looks like and then really get focused in these in building these these dynamic personal systems that that are achieving things across the multiple lenses yeah for sure that's it's it's a good way to get there and i think that uh, atomic habits provides some uh, some some good information that that advances that thinking yeah so in the end atomic habits we really enjoyed the read it's a he gives some great personal stories some great anecdotes from others um, it was a catalyst for getting us started on kind of the journey we're on, but the tips and hacks ended up kind of falling a little bit short in terms of real meaningful lasting change for us. Right. It felt a bit like, um, like self-improvement junk food. And yeah. That's not meant to disparage, but it was easy. It was quick. It was very cons- easy to consume and immediately satisfying, but in terms of sort of long-term production it it fell short yeah so we really did love atomic habits it was an engaging read um we'd still recommend it to anyone uh that's just kind of our thoughts on once we kind of found out there is this community that doesn't love atomic habits uh, kind of critically evaluating it we're gonna try and be better about really digging into some of this self-help space and and trying to figure out what people are bringing to the table that's valuable and Maybe what is uh, skippable. Yes. And it doesn't necessarily mean 
that there isn't good things. It's not a, you know, a good or bad. There's different perspectives and and all can be valuable because it's not a one size fits all proposition. So uh, we look forward to talking a little bit more about the perspectives that other people have, have and what we've learned from them and what we agree with and what we disagree with. Yeah, and we certainly don't have it all figured out, but we'd like to be able to provide a different view maybe and just recognize the importance of taking a holistic view to what you want out of life, that getting some different perspectives can really be helpful towards moving you towards your goals. Very good. Well, we look forward to seeing you next week. If you found value in today's episode, subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps us out.